Welcome to a football show, Thursday edition. He is Zach Lyons. I am Braden Gall. Get into the comments section, folks. If you got questions, we would love to hear from you guys. Of course, this show brought to you by Sinkers Beverages and the Kingston Group, two of our great, amazing, local, and awesome sponsors. Zach, good afternoon, sir. How are we doing today? Good afternoon. Uh, basically, uh, this week has flown by compared to the last weekend. You ever have one of those weeks where you have like so much shit you've got to do for like the household that that's not like work related and like it's just big overwhelming stuff and then you feel like you kind of put the ball in motion you get to where you need to be on everything and then your wife is like hey how's all that stuff going you're like I got it taken care of and then it's like Friday yeah I mean that's <laughs> that's, that's exactly what it feels like <laughs> that's exactly what it is uh so it's it's gonna be a great show today look uh Zach has thoughts on entertainment districts red light districts who knows entertainment districts later on in the show we'll discuss of course I mean, massive um, news i mean you act you you kind of like act <laughs> like this isn't really big news for college football and stuff you kind of like just dismissing it and you're just like oh i'll just let you handle that segment and oh, I'm thinking, have, this is this is right no. up your alley this is college football stuff no i have a lot of things to say about it i i just it i I have many things to say. We will discuss, and you will not be alone in that conversation. But entertainment districts on the show today. Uh, of course, there was a great a great clip that you brought to my attention uh, from Alex Smith on his radio show, former quarterback, of course, now with Sirius XM. And uh, let's be quiet around. Do we have to be quiet, Donnie, with the sleeping baby? Or are we good to just, like, yell F-words at each other? I mean, I know there's another podcast called uh, F-words, but, like, I just want to be respectful of the, of the sleeping child. Um, you brought, you brought shit. If you're bringing your child, you have to be respectful of me. Fair enough. I, I, can, I can. Don't take your kid to a nice restaurant. That's a, that's a baby. Nice uh, restaurant, airplanes, anywhere, basically anywhere where there's more than five people should don't bring your kids. Actually, here here you go. Um, real tired of being nice. That's exactly what we. That's the motto on the show. Um, all right, so. Defensive-minded head coaches in the NFL cannot develop quarterbacks, according to Alex Smith. That's not exactly what he said, but it's kind of what he said. Obviously, there's a defensive-minded head coach here in town. Is it even true? Zach has thoughts. Zach has stats. Zach has data. I have some opinions as well, so we'll get into that. Um, I had Mel Kuyper on Lamestream Sports this week. That'll be out on Friday. Make sure you check that out. 40-plus minutes of him talking about the evaluation process, the grading process, getting information from former GMs, current GMs, and how does that affect the grading process? A lot of conversation about Will Levis, and we're going to play you a clip on why he was so high on Will Levis, and maybe some other guys were not, and where the disconnect was, so that people can maybe understand that a little bit. And frankly, it raises a question about the evaluation process that I, I find pretty interesting about injuries. So we'll get into that uh, here in a little bit. Uh, obviously, we had some veterans, quote-unquote veterans, Zach, talk for the Tennessee Titans, uh, Al Shair, Brunskill, Traylon Burks, and namely uh, on Tuesday. So we'll get into what they had to say as well. But uh, otherwise, get into the comment section, rate, review, subscribe, go to Stack in the Inbox, subscribe to Stack in the Inbox, listen to F Words Pod. You got Mike Herndon, you got all the other great shows from the 440 Sports Network. But make sure you are going in to Sinkers Beverages in East Nashville, sister store Bluegrass in Hendersonville. Sign up for the in crowd. And and just let just watch the emails roll in with like really cool opportunities, VIP stuff, tastings, events, and we have one very cool giveaway coming very very soon. Actually, it's in the next few weeks. We're gonna have to, say, to roll that. We're gonna have to roll that out soon. Like you better go join now because it's like gonna come at June, and then you're gonna be behind everybody else that's already subscribed to 
the in crowd. So don't fall behind. Go join the in crowd. Can, let me give you some hints real fast. Just some general hints. It involves n- not driving, but leaving town. Someone else will drive you. It involves brown water. And then it involves them bringing you back. You're going to Tennessee's first outhouse. <laughs> they do sell jackets, sinkers, beverages. That's true. Uh, Kingston Group, of course, buildkg.com, Nashville's locally owned custom home and remodeling firm. You guys know the drill. Do not make any decisions about your house. Just call them. Just have a conversation with them. They will help you make big decisions. My wife wants to put up, like, finish a half wall upstairs, you know, with like a like a, like a full wall so that the kids' movies, we can't hear them downstairs when we're watching Did your Contractors succession. not finish the job? No, no, we, we intentionally made it a half wall. Why? It's one of those those like loft style, style deals. Oh, you um, guys, you guys really didn't think that one through. Maybe not, but I'd appreciate it if you didn't get into my marriage this early in the show. Thank you. (laughs) I mean, I'm just saying. Um, okay. All right. There's the, we are five minutes into the show. Bucks mom's first reference he, uh, he good little, is all about slow. Bucks mom. I mean, he's little, all about it. A little slow today on the show there. D good. Come on. Five, five I had the under yeah. on Bucks mom being mentioned in the comments. Uh, no, you guys know the, the drill, get into the comments. If you have any questions. So I, I, I don't know what you took away. And I know you and Mike talked a lot about a lot of the different rookies and non rookies talking through the, through the, the, the last couple of days of press availability. I just had two kind of major takeaways, and then I can kind of let you run with it if you want. I thought, number one, Traylon Burks is is clearly in a different headspace from a commitment standpoint, understanding what it needs to, what he needs to be to be a professional athlete. Didn't really leave town much at all. Has been here working with the strength and conditioning staff. And I think that's a – like, he just sounded like a guy, like, ready to go. And maybe that's – doesn't mean he's going to be great. Doesn't mean he's going to avoid injury. But it looks like he – much like Roger McCreary did and Chig a couple of weeks ago – it sounds like these guys have kind of figured, okay, there's a different thing we got to do here entering camp to be ready to go physically. And I think that's a really great sign considering the, all the garbage bullshit conversation we had <laughs> this time last year with Traylon Burks. So that's well, number which one. Is, which is a little bit, you know, falls at his feet pretty much for kind of lollygagging throughout the NFL offseason process. Like if I was an agent, and I don't maybe his agent did this, but if I was an agent, I'd be like, dude, you you have to take care of your body and get ready for them like that. And in fact, you know, they do rookie symposium after the draft. They should really do a rookie symposium, like right after the Super Bowl, where all the NFL draft rookies can come if they want, or you, you give out a handful of the first rounder, second round, third round grades and teach them like have a week long seminar, teach them financial responsibility teach them what's coming down the pipeline with all their stuff and and also teach them how to take care of their body between now and then because how many times have we seen people that are fast in college go to the combine look out of shape and then come to camp and look out of shape it's not just specifically trailing burks but it happens everywhere and it's yep. like you get to a certain point in college when you're so much better than everyone else and you probably don't you only have to put in half the work in college but the NFL is different. It is the cream of the crop of college. It is not, you know, playing Arkansas, Lafayette bluff or whatever, pine bluff, Arkansas, wherever it's at. Uh, Mel Kuyper refers to them multiple times as AOGs, uh, another occupation guy. 
In college, Traylon Burks went up against a bunch of DBs that were AOGs. Uh, another yeah. occu- another occupation guy, right? Uh, which is not a, a professional athlete. And, and and here's the thing: there's two things. Number one, that's very self-explanatory. It's it's very obvious stuff that that's that's how this process works. And number two, that means we all need to take a deep breath when Jalen Duncan is tired on in in, in OTAs. Okay, again, I'm not even picking on Jalen Duncan specifically. I'm just saying like. When this when this inevitably will take place over the course of the next month and a half, where we're going to have to have a conversation about how someone just doesn't look like a professional yet or just doesn't feel like they're getting in as fast as they should. It, it's because they're a, a child going into a grown adult, grown ass man's professional sports league. And it takes some time to get up to speed. So. And let's be very clear, just because you brought up Jalen Duncan, he's a 300 something pound man that has been adept at Maryland weather in the summers, which is probably super beautiful wherever he's at. Yeah, probably and he's coming down here to freaking Tennessee, which is like a bowl of just humidity and just s- s- sweaty assholes. Like it is, <laughs> it is the sweaty asshole. Nashville is the sweaty asshole of Tennessee. I think you're, I think asshole might be no, you, that, everywhere. That, the asshole part of that that analogy, the the most the most illustrative part of the analogy, uh, not actually. I think that's too too nice to Tennessee. I think it's the taint. It's actually the part between uh, yeah. the, the the scrotal I mean, region and the asshole region. As soon as you walk region, outside on some days, you're just sweating already. Yeah. So like, I, I can't imagine being three hundred something pounds. It is golf shirt dry fit weather from here until probably October when that one weekend hits and it smells like football on Saturday but morning. The but the like, good news about this all situation is that unlike previous draft classes, the majority of last year's draft class who seems to be taken to the variable lifestyle is actually still on the team. So, you know, you can actually listen to you, Traylon Burks, um, Chigakonkwo, Roger McCreary, they can kind of impart some wisdom and ways and you know that's up to it's gonna be tough for some people to adjust probably won't be tough for uh will levis most likely with his experience in kentucky but at least this group based on rookie minicamp reports and based on what we've heard from them out of their mouths this rookie class it seems like they're they're kind of taken to the adjustment a little bit quicker than Traylon burks does but the good news is is that Traylon Burks has taken to taken it to another level this offseason. Yes, yeah. Just like Roger McCreary, just like Chickaconquo. That's what you want to see from your draft class. Well, and and ironically, Traylon Burks, one of the few guys that should be accustomed to the weather from where he's from prior to going to Arkansas. Uh, Tajay Spears, by the way, Louisiana doesn't get any more humid than that. So like he should be totally yeah. fine uh from a conditioning standpoint. I just think it's worth noticing and mentioning. It's like, hey, we did this last year, we do it every year. It takes time for the transition to take place. I, you know, sure. The 11th overall pick playing at, at a position like guard should be able to contribute early for the Tennessee Titans in the NFL, Peter Skaronsky. It doesn't mean he's not going to have moments where he looks like a freaking rookie. So like even in camp, we just got to be aware of that, but it does lead us right into the other part that I thought was interesting from all the, kind of the theme that ran through all these guys, uh, Aziz Al-Shir, Daniel Bunskill, Traylon Burks, etc. And it's something that I noticed last year when I talked to guys that were first-year players that were veterans. I talked to Austin Hooper about this last year. Um, guys that come in and notice the difference of the culture and what Tennessee Titans football is kind of all about. We know Vrabel's talked extensively about calluses. You talked about it on the pod. Kaharski talked about it on his show. We know that they have had massive injuries the last two years. But to hear guys come in, Sean, Sean uh, Bunting comes in and says, 
this is just different than anywhere else I've been. Al Shayer said the same thing. Brunskill says the same thing. It's all about being physical, but like in a smart way. And so it doesn't feel like they've changed a whole lot, but maybe they're changing some tactics, not really their strategies. What did you make of the through line that is, we know this culture is different. We know there's a culture of accountability. Like if you just don't do your job, you're fucking out of here. But what did you make of the training and pushing the sleds and the intensity and the conditioning and the callus and the injury dynamic? What'd you make of all that? Uh, I, it's hard to, it's hard to form an well-informed takeaway from it, but I do find it interesting that Aziz Al-Shayir said, and I believe it was him. It could have been, uh, Sean Murphy, but I believe as Aziz said, uh, it seemed like they handed the keys to the strength and conditioning staff and said, here you go when it comes to this practice. And it seems to me that the practice is being designed by the strength and conditioning team, which we have to keep in mind. There is an injury algorithm somewhere in this area of, of all this. There is the data that Mike Vrabel mentioned at the end of season presser where he talks about, you know, this is what we our graphs show. These are the rest days. This is what the data shows us about going hard at practice. And this seems like a different style of practice, but I don't know how it's technically easier on the right. body. So like I'm I'm that's where I struggle is like it seems like this is a lot harder than other than other hey, draft classes. Hey Huxley, what's up, buddy? Yeah, it's Huxley and Havana. Uh <laughs> it seems it seems weird compared to like previous years practices they say are really hard, right? Like they're super hard. But how is this not as just as hard or harder? Is it just a different kind of hard, which is like it I guess I guess what it comes down to is like these are just workouts, right? So like these are just high intensity right. going to a um uh was a iron tribe workout and sure. there you go. And then there's your recovery, I guess. I, I mean to, like I that's what I guess it is. Yeah, and like I, look, I listen, I'm not an expert on this. I'm not a doctor, I'm not a personal trainer. I I've, I've been around a bunch of them and I know just from aging myself uh, low impact stuff is incredibly important as you get older. That's just, and I'll, again, I'm just going to use this as a non-expert sort of term here, right? Like it, you can be as calloused and as tough and as like ground, ground into shape as possible without doing like these things that put incredible stress on specific body parts, right? Like you can still be calloused and tough and in perfect shape without doing th these very specific exercises that maybe I would, I would argue like when I played football in the nineties, like the, the weights and the training that we did in the 90s was so different than just the weights and the training that people were doing in 2010, which I'm assuming is very different than the way the way that Derrick Henry trains in sand and on hills the in, in 2020. And so it, it just we keep evolving on this. And I, I think the idea I is, mean, you know, that's a good point. You know, we, we talk about these videos with the sleds and how it's different. And Derrick Henry year after year does all these different kinds of exercises that look like they would kill a mere mortal. And. He has what really one major injury that has nothing to do with anything as far as working out and yeah, like strengthening all the little tendons in the knees and the shoulders and the, about too, right? I mean, did right. Traylon specifically mention there's right. stuff that I'm doing with the strength and conditioning staff. Right. Maybe this has been the issue with the strength and conditioning staff. Isn't that the people are in place, the data is in place that people are actually using them. 
Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it's it, like, again, constantly evolving. And all those workout videos that Derek does where they, people are going crazy and they're all, all viral, if you notice about almost all of them, very few of them have high impact stuff. A lot of it's about flexibility and it's about agility and it's about strengthening tendons and all these other things. It's not like I'm just going to fire off and hit a <laughs> hit a pad or do clean, clean power cleans and just bench press like it's not the way it used to be 20 years ago. So um, it's, yeah. it's it's a holistic entire tendon, everybody part. I, I don't. <laughs> we're well, just I not, think, we're just not going to know, you know, like, you know, Roger McCreary stayed here. We know that Ch I think Chig said he stayed here. We know that Traylon Burke stayed here. Maybe that's the important thing. If you're if you cannot be trusted out on your own, like Derrick Henry, like Derrick Henry is and Kevin Byard are two right. obviously different breeds, but they're not just here during the OTAs, Traylon Burks and all of them, they've been here all summer long working with nutritionists, working with, uh, yeah. or summer, uh, all off season long, working with nutritionists, working with strength and conditioning staff. And maybe that's been the missing key ingredient for a much maligned uh, part of the NFL or part of the Titans front office staff is the strength and conditioning squad. And, and it does, but it does not sound like, and I thought this was interesting from the newcomers, all three of them basically saying, this ain't the way we do it. This is much harder. This is much more, much more of stuff. And again, doesn't necessarily mean more physical. It's just more. And I don't think that's any different than the way Mike Vrabel has run a football program, a football team since the first day he stepped onto, into, into St. Thomas sports park. And I, he is a, he's going to have a physical football team that is going to play a physical brand of ball, no matter how injured they are or not, I guess he's just trying to adapt to that style to better prepare his team for that, I guess. Well, I and and the other safe, guys aren't doing yeah. it. Oh, well, I think it's safe to assume that the 49ers and the Buccaneers aren't doing it, and but other teams are because this is basically the first time we've ever heard of any free agent talk like this and talk and reference the practices being hard or we don't do that there. I've never done this before. And so... Either this is an entirely new concept of what they did this past Monday with the sleds and everything or whatever else had, was evolved around other days that we're not privy to. Or it's uh, everybody else came from a team that did something similar. So like, you know, Bud Dupree, he came yeah. from the Steelers. Maybe the Steelers do something similar to Mike Vrabel, whereas the Buccaneers don't and the San Francisco 49ers don't. Uh, it, it's it's very interesting um, to see how the injuries play out and if this is this actually works. That, that's that's all that matters is if they have another season like the last two with more injuries, then it's on Vrabel. Like it's something that Vrabel is is instituting at that point, right? Like I'm not saying that it's not on the players; it's not fluke occurrences. In, you know, like, again, Derrick Henry's foot is not because he worked out too much. Maybe it's because he got too many carries because the more carries you get, the more chance your, your injury goes up just statistically. But like, again, I don't at some point, Rabel does have to say, like, all right, we're the most injured team in the history of the NFL three years in a row. What I need to reevaluate. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think they're there yet. I think you can. One is pretty fluky. I think two is still kind of fluky. They've jettisoned a lot of those players. Let's find out if it's just the players and some fluke and then we'll, we'll we'll go on from there but it's kind of like levis we've learned everything we can about this issue it, they're trying some new stuff we got to wait till the games happen before we can kind of comment any further okay or um, even before, practice to see how people right. last in practices right. uh, this summer 
All right, so we're going to hear from Mel Kuyper here in just a second, but let's tell everybody about the Kingston Group and Sinkers, of course. The Kingston Group, buildkg.com. Custom home build, buying a house, selling a house. Yes, I know interest rates are off the charts right now, but if you're going to do any of that, if you're going to do an addition to a home, if you're buying a house and then renovating it, any of the things that you just cannot trust a small-time general contractor to do, which is like all of them in Nashville. I'm sure there's some good ones, but mostly, eh, I don't know. Don't trust them. Kingston Group buildkg.com have a conversation with them they will make sure that you are in in the right direction if they're not going to help you if, if they can't help you they'll make sure you get the right people to do the job for you um but if, if you're trying to do something big for your house just keep that name in the back of your head kingston group just always remember it um buildkg.com sinkers beverages of course the 2022 liquor store of the year in nashville tennessee by the nashville scene uber eats Search Sinkers Beverages. Zach, they will deliver the booze directly to your house. Hey, they drive so you can drink. I, I think that was the best job I have done of setting you up in a long time. <laughs> I think I've screwed yes, that up so many sure. times. I, I think I've screwed that up so many times I finally got it right. Um, no, they'll deliver the booze right to your house. Great selection of wine, great selection, huge beer cooler. Like one of the best beer coolers in town. And trust me, I've been into a lot of beer coolers. This is one of the best beer coolers in town. Great bourbon selection, huge brown water wall if you want to go check that out. Great wine, uh, great staff that will help you out. Sign up for the in-crowd, VIP allocations, specific emails tailored directly to your tastes, great showroom, private tastings, and some cool prizes coming. So uh, Sinkers and the Kingston Group, make sure you check those guys out. Okay. Uh, Injuries and evaluation. Why was Will Levis evaluated the way he was by different people so drastically? Well, I had, and Mel Kuyper, of course, was one of the guys who was very, very high on Will Levis. At one point, uh, Zach, I did a show with him probably in November or December, and I remember telling you this, I think. Like, I asked Mel Kuyper this weekend on the air, what, who's, the, who's changed his opinion the most this season? And he was like, I think Will Levis is number one on my board. Um, so he evaluated him very differently than everybody else. This is what he had to say when I asked him to explain those differences. This was what Mel Kuyper had to say. A defend against, I thought, unfair criticism. Uh, I guess you could say it's everything's fair in this business. You can look at play. But I think unfair by that, I mean, when you're hurt and you're beat up like he was, that would be like if I came on here with a sore throat and I'm going to struggle <laughs> to talk to you guys. My Kuiper was a little off his game today. Well, I guess so. I, yeah, I got 102 fever and I got a, a struck throat. I'm, I'm gutting it <laughs> out here, guys, doing the best I can, right? So when you are a quarterback and you're beat up from head to toe and the fact that you could move so well uh, two years ago when you were healthy, but this year you can't move, so you're no threat to a defense running. You're no threat doing anything with your legs because your foot, your toe is so bad. Your offensive line is awful. Your receivers aren't running the right routes. Uh, you know, all these things are factoring in. So you got to look at that. Well, some chose not to. And I, that's their prerogative. I thought it was unfair, but that's their prerogative to evaluate Will Levis and say, OK, he turned the ball over too much. He didn't do this. He didn't do that. He didn't look, he didn't look as good as he did two years ago. Well, there was a reason because he was beat up from head to toe. So and he didn't have the players around him. He did like Wondale Robinson and Darian Kennard and, and Luke Fortner. So uh, there was a lot of reasons. So if you want to factor in those reasons and give him kind of a, a pass, then you do what I did. If you don't and you want to be strict to say, hey, he's out there playing. He made some mistakes you can't make. I don't care if you're hurt. You can't be fumbling the ball away in the final couple minutes of the old Miss game. I understand that. 
and there's no perfect formula to evaluate. It'll be a good learning uh, situation with Will Levis moving forward for people. In terms of, of Will, it was, a tough, it was a tough evaluation because you didn't see the same quarterback this year as you did in 2021 because he was hurt. 2022, beat up. He had nine rushing touchdowns two years ago. He had zero over the last eight games when he was hurt and couldn't move. Against Tennessee, if you look at the tape, there were miles in front of him to run. And he just stood there and tried to find a receiver because I can't move. I'm not getting it. By the time I get five yards, somebody's going to close and and hit me anyway. So I just can't move anymore. So I'm sure it frustrated Will uh, as well. But he got it out. He didn't quit on his team. He played through it. There you go, Mel Kuyper on the evaluation. He went on to say a few other things about where he could have gone in the draft. Colts, Ravens, we'll t- we could touch on that. He compared him to Josh Allen a couple of different ways, and I'll explain that. Uh, the full interview, of course, will be out on Lamestream Sports everywhere you get your podcasts on Friday. Zach, I'll let you go first. Um, do, are you one of the guys that sides with the McShay camp and maybe the other guys that says, look, you're out there, you're injured, doesn't matter, or the fact that the injured you, you got injured as part of the evaluation – or you, do you err a little bit more on the Mel Kuyper side and say, look, this is a context that's important here. I'm not going to knock him for that. Well, not to be – I just got sneezed on. Uh, not to be Will, <laughs> Will Levis specific, but I, I do take in context in my evaluation. The problem is, is with Will Levis specifically, is that I didn't find any of the 21, 2021 tape to be some, some great white hope. Uh, like, I just – didn't I was unimpressed w- with the 2021 tape of Will Levis. Now, the problem is, is that he comes back, unlike Anthony Richardson, because I said Anthony Richardson should go back to college, right? He gets his first year starting, and technically your second year, you should progress, and you should improve. And yes, the con- the injuries and the the, the context surrounding it, we're, we're bad, but let's slow down a little bit on acting like Wandell Robinson is some crazy. Don't you talk about my guy. Don't you I talk mean, about yeah, my the, guy. The, the way that people talk about Wandell Robinson and his importance to the Kentucky offense is, is insane to me. And the offensive line is kind of like over the course of both seasons, it was kind of just bad regardless. Now, if you got a new OC in your head telling you not to do things or not doing things to help you as a quarterback and beat these deficiencies that you obviously have, then that that falls onto the offensive coordinator, not necessarily Will Levis. The problem was that just the 21, the 21, 2021 tape when everything was just all hunky dory in Bluegrass City. It just wasn't there when, for me when when he when he had thirty three touchdowns and they won ten games and and he was very good. I, listen, if you don't like the twenty twenty one tape, not just you, but like anybody, I think that's totally fair. Like I don't see X, Y, and Z from Will Levis. I think that's totally fair. We don't really we, there's not really a whole lot we can do to kind of relitigate the evaluation of him. I am sort of curious because I agree that like Wondell Robinson and a couple of offensive linemen in itself is not a huge deal. The coordinator. Maybe a bigger deal, but in and of itself, not a huge deal. The injury to a very specific part of his body that changed a very specific part of his game, not that huge of a shouldn't change your evaluation. But when taken all together, I think that can be that can paint a very different picture, which I think I've been trying to tell Tennessee volunteers fans specifically. This is why he didn't look very good for the last three, two thirds of the season last year. Now, I think what Mel does a great job of explaining on that show that you didn't hear there is that. 
you have to stick to what you trust. And if Zach, you see something or Stoney's already said, listen, I air on the side of the tape just isn't that good. If you don't see, stick to your own eyes and trust what you see. And, and I think that's where I think Mel is saying, look, I saw this from him here. Now I'm using this context to say, I'm not sure this is really him. I think this is really him. 2021 is really him. 2022 is not because of X, Y, and Z reasons. I'm okay with that. I also think that if a player plays a certain style of game and gets hurt all the time, that's important context too. Like that, like you can't just take that away from Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen or whoever. If a player just like KJ Jefferson runs through brick walls at the end of plays, that's a part of his evaluation process. And it's why he got hurt twice last year. So eventually yep. you have, eventually the injury is the, is the context at the same time, right? Like, so I, I don't know. I thought that was interesting. He, he also went on to say, uh, he compared him to Josh Allen and said, look, very similar things. Not uh, uh, that he's going to be Josh Allen, but the, the two things that we said about Josh Allen were inaccurate, make some bad decisions, but the, and he got hurt a couple of times and the team lost games. In, as soon as he was off the team, they lost games. And Kuyper went on to say, look, as soon as Levis was off the field, they got beat by bad teams and they got blown out. He's a difference maker for the team that led them to some victories despite some of the problems. Those are some positives for him. Um, but the really interesting one, and I tweeted out the, the link to this um, on my account uh, or at 440 Sports, was that the, <laughs> because he fell, it doesn't necessarily mean he wasn't graded out highly by most teams. Which that is Col- what we have said. You, right, exactly. Because you said it at the very beginning. Like, the Titans clearly graded him as a mid to high first round draft pick. Like, just that's what they see him as. That He basically said the Colts have admitted that they would have taken him at four if Anthony Richardson was not on the board. And I don't know about this one, but if the Ravens had not gotten the deal done with Lamar Jackson, they were going to take him at 22. So I don't, I find it funny. I find it interesting. I find it kind of inter- like, I don't think it's a huge story, but he's, I, I don't know exactly what we're solving here, <laughs> but, but I think the injury part of this, if that is how you do the evaluation, same with Tajay Spears, same with Caleb Farley, same with Jeffrey Simmons, it can work both directions. It can be, it can be why a player falls to you and you get, a great player, Jeffrey Simmons. It can be why a player falls to you and you end up with a guy who's on the IR like multiple times, Caleb Farley. That this year, though, year three, Caleb Farley's coming. <laughs> oh, you are Are you back on the... <laughs> oh, I've been on the train. I've already okay. talked about year three, C for Caleb, third letter of the alphabet. He wears the number three. Chris Science. Harris also has is starts with the C. Like, I'm all in. So science science is is why Caleb Farley is going to have a great year. Signs Uh, matter. (laughs) Uh, Either way, Mel is, uh, I will also say this about Mel is arguably the nicest human being in the history of sports media. Someone get that man a microphone though, for his computer. uh, I here's, you want to know another little nugget about Mel? And I hate to do this because I love him so much. Does not have a cell phone. Cannot, you cannot, you cannot, like I, I know his home number and I know his email because I work with him and I can talk to his wife, but you cannot text him. You cannot. He has no cell phone, does not own a cell phone. <laughs> I, my mind is blown by that fact. <laughs> so uh, for him to get sources, is it just all email? So like if he got hacked, you can find out <laughs> everything you need to know. Right. I, I think he does a lot of call. Like, I think there's a lot of phone calls. I think there's a lot of phone calls and he sees At a lot home. of he sees, yes, I know. He sees a lot of people in person as well. There's always people walking around the the mothership up there in Bristol as well. Like he's got a ton of stories. He told some really interesting stories about about having information from GMs that told them they were going to pick a guy, and he's like, I, I can never use that information. 
on the air because then I'll never get it again. But I use it to maybe adjust some grades every now and then. I'm like, well, that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> so, yeah. He, he had, he had, we had a lot of fun talking with him about grading versus mocking and then a lot of Titan stuff. Talked about Jalen Duncan a lot. Talked about uh, uh, Dowell as well. Talked about uh, Tajay Spears. So if you want to listen to that full interview, out Friday morning, uh, like 40 minutes of Mel Kuyper, which, Zach, is maybe four and a half minutes of me and Steve Cavendish. It's probably 37 yeah, minutes of Mel Kuyper. You got my attention now. <laughs> Touche. Uh, Seekers Beverages, Kingston Group, we love you guys uh, for supporting us. And, hey, got a little Jasper's plug in there, too. So check there that you out. Go. Um, all right, uh, Bluegrass as well up there in Hendersonville. So if you're north side of town, make sure you swing by Bluegrass and, and check them out. Um, all right, so defensive-minded coaches. Alex Smith was on his radio show on Sirius XM. I do not have the quote. Do you have the quote in front of you? I don't have it in yeah, front of actually me. Actually, I do. Uh, Why don't you go ahead, what he said. go ahead and read it for everybody? This was uh, via JoeBucksFan.com. Um, but it was Smith uh, recently shared some of his thoughts on Sirius XM NFL radio. There is a difference, different mentality for my career when you play for an offensive head coach that wants to light up the scoreboard and outscore the opponent. Smith said there's a different mentality you have, especially as a young quarterback versus a defensive head coach, when really the coach's mentality is, hey, don't screw up. Don't turn the ball over. Don't put us in a bad situation. That's a huge difference in mentality and a mindset for a young quarterback, especially if it's a bit of a rocky start. Um, it was more than a bit rocky to start for Jets quarterback Zach Wilson, and this is what he had to say on that. Robert Sale is it Sala? Sally? Sale? Delay. Sale. Okay. Robert Sale. I don't yeah. know why I had a brain fart there. Robert Sale, you're a great defensive mind and coordinator, but like you have no idea how to develop a quarterback, Smith said. <laughs> the coordinator you hired never called plays, so that's a completely different animal. And as much as you think you're prepared to handle that development of a young kid, you're just not. Lots to digest in that quote. Uh, first of all, I appreciate the candor from Alex Smith. I, I find that to be good media. Uh, whether he's right or wrong, we're about to discuss, but uh, I appreciate it. Um, I feel like you are far more, you have a far stronger take about this than I do. I find some kernels of truth in there that are very interesting, especially as it pertains to Mike Vrabel. Uh, but I think you have a much stronger opinion about well, whether or not this is real or not. It's this overarching thought that defensive minded head coaches are not good for rookie quarterbacks. And this is a prevailing thought because they, they're, they're not from the offensive side of the ball, so they can't. They don't know anything and blah, blah, blah. I, I'd like to just go ahead and just do a quick debunking, if I could. Uh, Sean McDermott and Josh Allen. Harbaugh, Lamar, and Joe Flacco. Bill Belichick, Tom Brady. Bill Cower, Big Ben. Jim Schwartz, Matt Stafford. Ron Rivera, Cam Newton. Uh, Mike Smith, Matt Ryan. Jim Mora, Peyton Manning. Uh, Marty Schottenheimer, Breeze, and Rivers. And then, of course, you have like Chuck Pagano got Andrew Luck, but that's, you know, anybody could have done anything with that. And then on the <laughs> flip side, you have like Baker Mayfield had Hugh Jackson, yeah. Sam Darnold. He went, started with Todd Bowles in year one, but they went out and got Adam Gase specifically for his development. That yeah. failed. Uh, Jake Locker and Mike Munchak. Uh, Tim Tebow and Josh McDaniels, EJ Manuel and uh, Doug Marone. Hey, John, can we just pause for a second on Josh McDaniels and Tim Tebow? Yeah. 
Oh my god! Yeah. All right, continue, continue. That's all I okay. want. Matt Nagy had Trubisky and Fields. Uh, Dwayne Haskins was with John Gruden. Daniel Jones had has had both throughout his career, and it took Brian Dayball, his third head coach, to get anything out of him. And then Trey Lance is he going to be any good? We don't know. And he's got one of the best offensive minded head coaches. It, what it comes down to for me is that. A lot of this is just on the quarterback evaluation process. Yep. And a lot of it is on the quarterback itself. Like, is Johnny did Johnny Manziel not pan out because Mike Patton was his head coach or because he was a shitty person and <laughs> he was a shitty quarter NFL quarterback? Like, yeah, let, like, let's be realistic here. Some of these situations are entirely different and much like the Will Levis situation need context yes a lot of context i think trubisky by the way and sam darnold just like aren't like aren't good enough with coaches that aren't good enough like i'm okay with it and i just jotted this down and this was just while you were talking like first of all mike tomlin you could also put mike tomlin in there with ben roethlisberger as well and now cody pickett uh we'll see what happens developing right Right, so like he didn't really develop big ben i mean bill cower gets that that, that's fair. But, but really, like, it's because Bruce Arians and um, was there on staff. And right, um, right. oh, what's the guy that was a real dickhead? Um, oh, I'm uh, Haley, Todd Haley. Todd, Todd Haley. Todd Haley. Haley. <laughs> it was a real dickhead. Uh, now, here's another one for you. Isn't Brandon Staley all defense? That's like his baby. And yeah, just, but like Justin Herbert's been pretty good. Just I so. don't. I think Justin Herbert could be better. Like, don't we, isn't that why Joe Lombardi got fired? Because he kind of like. Right. But that's not because but, Brandon Staley's job is But it was also Anthony Lynn's first year was Justin Herbert, right? That, but only Justin, for one year. Only, they only overlapped, I think, for the one year. So maybe it's the, maybe you're right. Maybe it's the second year quarterback. I, but I, my point is that that's a Justin Herbert thing. It's not an offensive or defensive. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's thing. what I'm saying. I, I agree with that. Justin I, Herbert, I'm saying yeah. the same thing is like. To me, Justin Herbert is good despite his his right. quarterback and it, the, or despite his head coach and despite his offensive coordinator that sucked as well. To me, this is where two things are true. One of my favorite things in sports talk. Two things are true. One is is that it, one size of this argument does not fit all. You cannot just say that every defensive minded coach is bad for quarterbacks uh, and that they're all you know hypersensitive to a rookie that asks them to do nothing and plays super conservatively and that every offensive minded coach is great for quarterback development like that to your point that's just not true it's just not true the quality of the coach and the quarterback are really what drives that the second thing that's true is that Mike Vrabel is a conservative defensive minded head coach who wants his quarterback to play safe within the confines of the offense and not turn the ball over whether that's Ryan Tannehill or Will Levis. Right, but isn't that a good thing for a rookie? Like, if you yes. got a rookie, yes. like, I, I think about Tom Brady and how he was brought up, basically, he wasn't the great quarterback that he was at the beginning of his few years. He was being carried by the defense, right? And then he turned into and developed overtime with the same head coach, with a good offensive staff, turned into the Tom Brady that we all know and sometimes hate. And... I- like, I mean, to me, that it's all about the other staff. If you're a defensive-minded head coach, it's about your staff that you have in place. And all the Titans have done this offseason is bring in as many different people as possible to help with the offense and to help specifically. Like, I bet Will Levis and Pat are going to be like, 
right there, buddies. They're just going to be like yeah. attached at the hip throughout the whole I, situation. I, I would love to see some data on offensive minded head coaches and defensive minded head coaches with a rookie quarterback pass run ratio. Because I think one of the things that Alex Smith is saying there is, well, we just got to score, 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 score. And I, I would argue like, if you have the quarterback capable of doing that, Joe Burrow as a rookie, let's say hypothetically, uh, and, with Zach Taylor, aka not Alex Smith, <laughs> th then you can then you can do that. You can just kind of go 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 go. Like I I feel like if you're a good coach, you have to know the limits of your players. Like you have to know the limits of Cody Pickett or in this case Will Levis or you know whoever. Like I, like I'll be interested to see what Atlanta does because Atlanta's got a ton of weapons, offensive minded head coach, not a rookie quarterback, but a second year quarterback with very little experience, basically a rookie third round pick. Mm -hmm. uh, like that's, I'm going to be curious to see, like they're going to run the ball like crazy. I think Atlanta's going to be better than people think they're on the Titans schedule. I think in a good spot for the Titans to get them coming off the bye. but what do they look like in terms of a run pass ratio? And is that considered more conservative versus a defensive coach? I think the key is, are you putting the, what you just said, are you putting, are you delegating like a CEO, like a leader, like someone who's got a culture that he is responsible for, where you've got 150 people you have to make sure they're all doing the same thing the same way in the right direction? And if you're Vrabel, sure, on 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 fourth and one, if the metrics say you go for it, sure, maybe he goes for it. But but if the metrics say on third and seven, he needs to run the ball and play it safe, maybe he does that because Will Levis is a rookie and, he's, and he happens to be in the game. But that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's res not responsible for developing the guy. Like, it, does that make sense? Like, you can you can be conservative or or go for it in a specific moment, and that has nothing to do with whether or not you've developed the guy or your staff has developed the guy at all. So, I, the, there's also right. a mentality. There's also a mentality that Alex is talking about, and we know Vrabel's mentality is physical, conservative style football. But in moments, he's shown us that he doesn't mind going for it when when the metrics say go for it. I mean, I look at it this way. You talk about delegating. I think that Vrabel does a lot of that. I think he's involved in a lot of rooms because he does have, he is a great football mind. Um, he is a smart guy. That's kind of what you no notice about defensive-minded head coaches. Like, to me, they, they know the X's and O's and the ins and outs and the gamesmanship a lot better, I feel like, than offensive-minded head coaches. Now, it's not to say the offensive-minded head coaches aren't as good or anything, because, I mean, that's obviously – it doesn't really matter what you are. It matters if you're just a good coach. It doesn't right. matter if you're a good coach on the offense or the defense. It just matters if you're a good coach. But it it's like – I I look at, you know, these names, you know, Bill Belichick, Bill Cower, even to a degree Jim Schwartz, you know, Sean McDermott. You know, these are all guys that are pretty intricately involved, but have developed people that also become intricately involved in the offense. And even though they're from the defensive side of things, so like everybody talks about Will Levis landing in the best possible spot he could land on. Like any article, yeah. or you ask any analyst, you ask any uh, pundit, they all say the same thing. Will Levis and the Titans are a match made in heaven. And one of those reasons is Mike Vrabel, who is a defensive-minded head coach. Like, that should not be overlooked in this kind of a discussion. He, he's a great teacher mm -hmm. and leader and, and, and defensive mind. So, perfect example of this is the throw we talked about on Monday. 
where he makes sort of a, a Will Levis makes sort of a smash corner route throw to Josh Wiley right before the defender gets there. And when you watch it, you're like, oh, that was a really nice play. And I think what I said on the show on Monday was, but Vrabel clearly took a chance or, or took an opportunity there to coach. And I think they talked about it in the press conference afterward that he he took a moment there and I could see him doing like this motion, like he was kind of motioning. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see this. If you're listening on the podcast, he sort of like does this arch motion where he's sort of directing the flight of the ball. And it was very clear. His job is not to teach Will Levis how to make that throw. That's Pat O'Hara's job. That's Tim Kelly's job. His job is to say to Will Levis, look, safety's going to make that play if you throw it like that again. Right? Like he can see the thing happening and can say, look, I need you to put it on more of a rope, let's say. But just because you're a defensive-minded head coach doesn't mean your job is then to teach the actual footwork and the arm slot and everything. Like That's the other guy's job. And one final note on delegation. Nick Saban is the most famous about this. He, he what, what, if you work for Nick Saban in the facility, he holds like the janitor to the same standard as he holds his like offensive coordinator. But what he does, he has an extremely high threshold of trust. But when he does trust you and you've earned your spot on his staff or in his building, he lets you do your job. Like that's it. Like I can see Vrabel functioning very similarly, Belichick the same way. There's a very high threshold to earn your way in here. But once you're here, I ain't, I'm not going to get in your way. It's your job. Go do your job. Well, so. I mean, that was obviously, and maybe that's a little bit of a problem too, to <laughs> a lesser degree, because that's what apparently happened with Keith Carter and what, you know, and Todd Downey is like, he, he took, he stepped back way too far. Than yeah, maybe you're right. Have. Maybe you're right. Uh, either way, I thought that was really interesting. Good clip by you. Good conversation that you found there. And I, I, it, one size doesn't fit all here. V Vrabel, I'm okay with them being conservative as a team, as a philosophy, and with a rookie quarterback. It doesn't mean that he's not also trying to push and evolve the offense with Tim Kelly and you know allow some, some people to do some work. So, uh, okay. Knoxville, Tennessee. Brought to you by Sinker's Beverages and the, and the Kingston Group, by the way. Knoxville, Tennessee is? Yep, yep. The whole, the whole city. They got uh, the whole city. The whole city brought to you by Sinker's and Kingston Group. They don't know that yet, but that's, that's what's happening. Um, so Danny White, athletic director for the University of Tennessee, tweets out Ooh. like the video. And it's if you don't know the area around Neyland Stadium, there's, of course, it, it drops way back down to the river. There is a little interstate loop back down there. There's like a one, one branded old restaurant that people love for some reason. Uh, and then like a bunch of parking garages. And not a, but like when I was there in 2000 to 2004, all the little areas around Neyland Stadium were just like campus that weren't like fun places to party. Like, and now they've sort of started implementing more areas around the stadium on the campus side. Well, as it turns out, Zach, there's going to be a giant entertainment district, hotels, rooftop, open air stuff that I'm assuming will function very similarly to the area around Nissan Stadium. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be interesting, right? Like, this is a. I would assume, I, I don't know the surrounding areas directly connected to the stadium of every college team, but I would assume this is the first of its kind, almost, where it's all right there. It's an entertainment district where you would assume there's also going to be lodging and all that kind of stuff. I can't think of one that I know when I see shots and everything, but like this is big because if you think about it, you're taking away technically tailgating spots and shifting your tailgate kind of elsewhere. 
Because, like, if you did this at the Grove, there's no way the Grove alumni would allow it. <laughs> like, I feel like the Ole Miss would be like, no, well, you're not taking away the Grove. The, so it's interesting you bring the Ole Miss up. The Grove is kind of like what they're trying to replicate, but, like, down on the river. Like, that's kind of what they're trying to build because there is not, and I'll say that, like, there is not a big, large green space near Neyland Stadium. Yeah. There, there, it's a lot of, like, parking garages, roads, parking lots for campus. You got the 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 university center right there. Um, you got Circle Park, or you got Circle Park on one side, and then you got the hill on the other side. There's just not a good, like, big, grassy place. Circle Park's, like, really the only place, but that's, like, up the hill. So I think what they're trying to do is to kind of create an urbanish version of the Grove. Now, I will say this. Um, I, I think, like, Louisville has a pretty good little, like, it's not a district, but it's right down. Their stadium is is like, got a lot of cool stuff around it. It's right down there by Churchill Downs. Uh, the baseball stadium for Louisville, University of Louisville. Um, Kentucky's football stadium is, is sort of in an urban area where there's a lot lot of stuff going on around that stadium. Um, Vanderbilt, if it was a football team, <laughs> would have a lot of stuff around yeah, in theory so. yeah. because West End, in, if it was a big-time program, like it's not like LSU. When you go to LSU Stadium... It's really not like it's there, but it's not there because there's really... There's right. that McDonald's that's there, <laughs> or is Wendy's, it a Wendy's or something? Wendy's, yeah. And I think a Redbirds, uh, Redlands uh, Steakhouse. Like, I don't know. Like, if it was a big time SEC, this is pretty big. This is very dangerous. Okay, I'm gonna get. To, I want to. I want. I want you to expand on that. The, the only point on Vanderbilt is if it was one of the big boys, like if it was a hundred, like it would be in a very perfect place. I guarantee you West End would be much bigger and more party. There'd be more bars and restaurants and shops and like, there'd be a strip there. And like, it's, it's because it's Vanderbilt that that hasn't turned into a big party district. I, I, that would be my guess. Cause if you go to LSU stadium, it is just like in a big parking lot in a flat spot in the middle of Louisiana with like some nice, a couple of restaurants around it. But like, it's just kind of there. Like there's not campus is there, but it's just kind of flat and it's just Baton Rouge. <laughs> like the food's amazing, yeah. but there's not like a, a district. Um, I, I wanted, what do you mean by dangerous? Like you think just too many kids partying under age? Well, I, mean, I think a lot of bank accounts are going to get drained. A lot of, uh, it feels like your insurance policies are going to be through the roof if you're in there because you have to have your umbrella policies and stuff. Like, I don't know, like if this is the future of, of college, where you're basically turning these stadiums and the surrounding area into almost pro stadiums. How long before the, how, what's the next step new stadium and is coming from the taxpayers and it's going to be more modern. Like it's, it feels it. It's awesome. First off, like I'm more apt now when this thing is built and done to go to a to travel to boring ass Knoxville with one of the worst cities in the state. Uh, it is like the it is a top ten tourist city in the United States right now. Yeah, and I'm not cool. and I'm not one to defend it, but it is one of the fastest growing tourism destinations in the in the southeast. I don't know. I don't why. know what they're visiting. Like, there's nothing. Well, it's it's changed a lot. There's a lot of outdoor stuff. You got the Smoky Mountains. You got Pigeon Forge. You got Gatlinburg. But you also have like. Uh, so you guys are claiming Gatlinburg tourism over in Knoxville. I, well, I don't know. I'm not, I don't, yeah. I just saw the numbers that Danny White tweeted out and, and then saw some independent reports as well that said, like, for some reason, Knoxville is like one of the most visited places in the Southeast. It has changed a ton since I was in college in 04. Like, there was nothing to do there. Now it's got the old city is incredibly built up. 
Um, you got all kinds of restaurants and stuff that's downtown. It's kind of expanded out, much like as Nashville has. Um, but you have more outdoor stuff to do in Knoxville than you do in Nashville. Like there's nothing here relative to what Knoxville's got to offer, which is a bunch of lakes, uh, you know, the mountains, all kinds of fun, fun stuff that, you, you know, we're taking our kids up for their first game um, this year with the front, with a couple of friends and we're staying, but we're staying in the cabins in the mountains. And then we're going to do the mountains on like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then we're going to come in on Saturday and do the game. And so that, that what I think is happening is there's not a lot of charm around Neyland stadium. And there's a lot of charm around other stadiums in the SEC, South Carolina, a lot of like the, the, the trains right there. You yeah. mentioned the Grove. Um, there's a lot of ch- like part of what makes college football stadiums great is like the charming uniqueness around the stadium. Um, but Neyland doesn't really have that. They've got the river. And so they're going to try to build sort of the river and the stadium together with this like district. If that It'll makes be sense. interesting. It'll be interesting to see. I, th- I think it's a, I think it's a, this won't be the last time you hear of a college doing this. Obviously, I, I totally agree. I'm curious. Let me ask you this: Are, Would you be more apt to do this? Because Knoxville is a pretty large city relative to most college towns. Would you be more apt to do this at a place like LSU, where you're going to get a hundred thousand people, but there's like tons of space to build like an actual district, kind of like what they've got in Wrigleyville or for the Braves, right? I've, I haven't been to the Braves Stadium, so I don't know what it feels like. But um, or are you more likely to do it? Like I've been to. If you've never been to uh, to Austin for the, to the Texas Stadium, it is like right downtown, super urban, like next to the interstate, very kind of party centric time. Does it make more sense to do it in a party town in a big city or in a small town where you can build a lot of stuff and bring a bunch of people in? Oh, man. Um, like, where do you think this starts becoming a trend? I, I think you're going to I think the next one is like you can't don't you can't do it in Austin, right? Because I mean, like you said, smack dab downtown. There's not really a good place. And and what what you're right, everybody leaves the stadium and goes to all the bars in just the immediate area anyway. Like, so it's almost like, like you kind of got it. You almost kind of like you got it. Right. Like Athens, Athens, you just like walk over the tracks and you get to like all the strips where all the bars and restaurants are, and like that's what you want to do. You don't yeah. want to go anywhere. Memphis else. would be a great place. Liberty Field uh would would have the not only could you keep your tailgating area, but you have all kinds of space around there yeah. across the road and everything. This, yeah. That would be a perfect place to do it. Uh, that's that's a smaller school. Um, I I think that it's going to depend on the city too. So like, I don't. I've never been to Columbus. So have you ever been to Columbus or Ann Arbor? I'm, I'm not sure how those stadiums map out, but those could be like. I feel like it's going to go. It's going to be a trickle down effect. And it's going to go big schools like UT, big name schools, and I, trickle down. I think it's big name schools that are in urban settings because yeah. Columbus is the big, biggest city in in Ohio. I don't think you want to take away the charm from like Baton Rouge and the tailgating and the tents and everything and like sort of the crawfish boil and all that stuff. But like Tennessee is doing it in a spot between the stadium and the river that is completely charmless. It is just roads and parking garages. And you can't really do anything else with that space. You can't put a big park down there and just like say, hey, come and set up your tents. There's no place to put cars. So what I think they're doing is they're kind of maximizing a worthless strip of land by putting a big giant party rooftop, essentially, that is like right there next to the stadium so you can get in and out of the stadium real fast, right? Because what happens is you go to G20 parking garage, which is right next to the stadium, and you just sit in your car. And it just smells like, you know, asphalt, 
you know, uh, White Claw and fucking gasoline. Like, it's just, yeah, like there's no charm to it at all. And so I think they're trying to build like all those renderings you see of Nissan Stadium, all the different bars around the new Nissan Stadium. I think they're going to try to do that on that rooftop strip that makes it look appealing and fun, especially for young people who I think are fucking obnoxious. Right. I'm (laughs) I'm going with my kids. We're going to go sit and like we're going to go tailgate like in a tiny little grass park somewhere near like the, uh, you know, the humanities building. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we're going to do. Also, by the way, I'm going to you can mark the tape on this because uh, my wife and her best friend and we're taking our four kids. The husbands were doing the whole thing. There's eight of us. Uh, we're taking our four kids to all Tennessee grads, all four of us taking our four kids to the Texas A&M game guaranteed defeat for the volunteers. If you want a guaranteed win, Texas A&M guarantees, I guarantee you they beat Tennessee on the road on October 14th. Guaranteed. You're that bad luck, huh? Because no, our four children have to walk out of there disappointed. It is a rite of passage for Tennessee Uh, volunteers. It's just, they have to be disappointed. That's, like that's, the, that's the nature of the game. Uh, what else we got? Anything? Sinkers, Kingston Group, Stack in the Inbox. Uh, thanks to all you guys for hanging out. Jason Stoney, D-Good, Donnie. Uh, appreciate all you guys for chiming in. Um, football and other F-words. Lamestream Sports with Mel Kuyper. We got Gold Standard talking Preds. Maybe there's a move coming at head coach. Who knows? Uh, Nashville SC, of course, Club and Country. You got that show. Uh, you got the Paul Kaharski podcast. You got Fringe Element covering SEC football. You got all kinds of stuff. So, uh, make sure you check all of that out. We do appreciate all of your support. Sinkers Beverages, Kingston Group, remember those names. For Zach, I am Braden. We'll talk to you next week. Have a great weekend, everybody. <laughs>